If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's cracking, everybody? It's super regional time in Norman, Oklahoma. The Sooners is going to take on the Washington Huskies with a berth in the Women's College World Series on the line. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. And um, I think we do have a little bit of football talk coming up in the true or false segment. So if you don't care a ding-dang thing about softball, you might go ahead and just fast forward to that portion of the podcast. But if you want uh, some Oklahoma softball talk, we are 100% here for it. Isn't that right, Rich? That's absolutely right. All right. So let's jump in here. This number 16. Short and sweet, man. Short and sweet. <laughs> National seed number 16, Washington, coming into Norman, Oklahoma. Um, you know, the Sooners, did they, when you look at the regional where they hosted Wichita State, they hosted Texas A&M, Morgan State was there. Did they run through that in a way that you thought that they would? Was it was it easier for them? I mean, what what are your just kind of recapping the regional? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, when it came to the regional, Matt, I I did expect Oklahoma to run through the the slate of games that were in front of them. I I did expect Oklahoma to be challenged as well, though, and it's largely because of something that I, I think we're going to discuss here in a little bit. And that's that when the NCAA seeds these tournaments, specifically softball and baseball, when they seed the tournaments, the only thing that we get a glimpse into is one through 16. We don't know how the rest of the field of 64 mm -hmm. shakes out. So when it really comes down to it, I'm looking at a Wichita state team. That's number 23 in the rankings. I have no idea where they fell in those seedings. I don't know what a perspective range would have been from them, but what we know is that Wichita state has proven that they're capable of going toe to toe with some of the best teams in the country, as well as some of the best teams in the big 12 conference as Wichita state does find themselves playing big 12 opponents on a regular basis, Oklahoma state being one of those, we know Oklahoma in the postseason. They're a team that has worked hard, that has played with confidence and has flashed brilliance on several occasions. So when we talk about Oklahoma versus Wichita State, just to get into that regional finale, I was not surprised by the score. I wasn't surprised um, by a two-run win from Oklahoma. I do think Oklahoma was the better team, but when we get into the playoffs, when we get into this tournament format, Anything can happen. It's a long day. It's a long weekend, especially if you're coming with one loss 
into that regional finale like Wichita State was. And we know, I feel like a little bit of fatigue may have played into that, specifically from the circle on Wichita State's part, because we saw late in the game on Sunday against Oklahoma, the bats were swinging and Oklahoma was very productive and working their way around the bases in in an effort to get to that 24 run mark. But again, Wichita state, a quality team. I thought again, just as a quick recap of the recap, Oklahoma would be challenged, but they would come out unscathed. That was the expectation. That's what happened. Yeah. It pretty much went down in order the way we suspected it to, you know, we said last week on this podcast that it'd be Oklahoma, Wichita state in the finale. We said that Wichita state would beat Texas A&M, which they did twice. Obviously, Morgan State was just happy to make an appearance. They were not a team that was going to contend in this regional. I, you know, I, I want to back what Patty Gasso said, though, both before and after the regional. You know, she, she was adamant about the fact that Wichita State deserved better than to have to come to Norman to play the overall top seed in the tournament. And I, I, I guess my question to you on that, Rich, before, because I, I, I want to talk about pitching on Sunday as well, because that was a big, um, there was a, a lot of a lot of fuss over that. But before we jump into Sunday pitching for the Sooners, do you feel like Wichita State kind of got the shaft by being there? <laughs> I feel like Wichita State did get the shaft. I think there's a lot of teams. There's a lot of complaints that have been voiced from major players on this collegiate circuit from coaches who have an established reputation in this community and have dealt with this process on numerous occasions. Wichita State, I thought, was more deserving. And it goes back to the statement that I just previously made that is we don't know how the NCAA seeds these things, but what it points to is a money issue. And Patty Gasso was very open in a conversation about that, saying that it obviously looks like what the what the NCAA does is they seed their top 16 teams, and then they put a conglomerate of other teams to challenge one of those national seeds mm-hmm. that are regionally close. I get there's some familiarity there. I get that it drives ticket sales. I get that those who are traveling don't have to go as far, but you do have to look at the body of work. You have to look at where these teams ended the the season, the regular season and their conference tournaments ranked. And I think the NCAA has a lot of explaining to do. I don't know that they're ever going to get that. I don't know that for baseball or softball, it'll ever expand beyond the 16 national seeds to an explanation of the top 32, the top 48, or all 64 teams that do make that field. Clearly, we know that when you win your conference championship, you get an automatic bid, but where are the explanations for the rest of these and why those specific destinations for those teams? Because what we ended up seeing, and I said that money was clearly an issue and that they were trying to regionally have teams. It doesn't explain Michigan going all the way out to the West coast. That, that, that's an anomaly to me. I'm just going to, I know, I, I know Michigan. Um, I know they beat Washington in that first game of that, of that, but look, Michigan, the, the, this, this big 10 argument that the big 10 is disrespected because they didn't have any national seeds they only have themselves to blame for that. The Big Ten didn't play anybody out of conference. And when you only play conference opponents, sure, you play everybody in, in two series instead of one series. But still, I got no beef with Michigan getting sent to Washington. I got no beef with any of the Big Ten not getting to host or not getting a, a top national seed. You, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it this year. And, and the people out there arguing that 
well, the Big Ten got punished by the NCAA. No, the Big Ten got punished by the Big Ten because they're the ones who chose not to step out of conference to play games. And when you make that decision not to step out of conference and play games, then you then you make the decision not to have any national seeds because there's there's no way to compare. How can you pair? How can you compare a Washington to a Michigan when you look at the the out of conference schedule that that the Huskies played? You don't have that for the Wolverines, and so I just I, that's a tired and, argument. For and me. here's the thing, Matt, is I'm not I'm not arguing for the Big Ten, but Michigan is just one example. I think a lot of people, and there are articles that have been written by NBC that I I do disagree with, but I see their vantage point and the perspective that they've chosen to take with Oregon playing at Texas when Oregon in the national rankings is ahead of Texas. Texas gets that regional. The Pac-12 doesn't get that regional via Oregon that happened. I'm saying more often than it, than it should have this year. And there is legitimate complaints that will continue to surface. There are voices that will continue to be heard and will make a case for what they believe is right. And ultimately what they believe is right is again, just going back to that explanation of why are these teams seated or essentially where are they seated that afforded them that opportunity to go and play specifically. We can look at Washington as well in the super regional and the way that that worked out for them. It's just this continuation, Washington number six in the nation to end the season, not a national. Well, they are a national seed, but they're 16. Then they come and face the number one, overall team in the country the number one overall seed in oklahoma when i think washington really got the short end of the stick on that one why because they have a national player of the year a candidate in the circle in gabby playing which we'll get to her in this matchup here in just a little bit but there's one of three finalists on the field as a 16 seed and will be eliminated before the women's college world series ever takes place it's inexcusable it's it's inexcusable I mean, to me i i, I think I don't know. I, I think you're painting with a broader brush than I am. I, I, and, and I see what you're saying about Washington, but I'm, I mean, we started with talking about Wichita State, number two in the nation in home runs, which is just, you know, right behind Oklahoma. Well, I say right behind. There's, there's some distance between them and Oklahoma. The Sooners, number one in the nation in home runs hit, Wichita State, number two. And, you know, that, that brings me up to Sunday. There, there, a lot of people had, had a lot of complaints about Patty Gasso's game plan, which blows my mind, Rich. You're talking about a coach <laughs> who is, I mean, the, I'm going to say the best softball coach in the country. And if you don't want to take that, then let's say she's the top three softball coach in the country. I, I don't think you can deny that. The Sooners have lost twice this season. They lost on the road at Georgia. They lost the opener to Bedlam. And people are going to act like they know better than Patty Gasso. Which, I mean, social media was crazy on Sunday because she started Olivia Reigns in the circle and didn't pitch Shannon Sale at all, didn't pitch G Juarez at all. She tried two unproven pitchers on the season, and then she finally, uh, you know, gave way to Nicole May, the freshman who was sensational, pitching <laughs> six and one third innings. But it was the idea to start Olivia Reigns that put Oklahoma behind for nothing before um, before Nicole May went in the circle. And I get what she was doing. And, and that's the thing is I get it. Patty mm -hmm. Gasso said it herself, it was a calculated risk. We thought we would try this and it didn't pay off, but they thought it would. And, and here's the thing, when you're facing a dangerous lineup that Wichita State is, and they are a very dangerous lineup, they had seen 
Oklahoma's pitchers in the regular season. They had seen mm-hmm. Oklahoma's pitchers in the second round of the Norman Regional. So this would have been their third chance to see Oklahoma's pitching. So Patty's going to try to throw something different at them, try to get them off their game a little bit. It's like a 46-mile-hour fastball <laughs> down well, the pipe. Saying, it's just something <laughs> different. And, and right. you know, but, but here's what Patty Gasso knew. And I think this is what everyone's overlooking. What Patty Gasso knew was that this was also their first time to see Wichita State pitching. So this is their third go around for that. And, and Wichita State's not as deep as OU is in the bullpen. Patty Gasso knew her team was going to score runs on Sunday. I, I don't know that she knew they were going to score 24 because right. – when you put Riley Boone in as a pinch hitter because you're trying to clear your bench and she as she hits a, a grand slam home run, I don't think you're really banking on that. <laughs> but the point is, Patty Gasol knew her offense was going to explode on Sunday. She said it before the game. We're going to have a good day from the plate. And that gave her the confidence to put an Olivia Reigns out there. And, you mm-hmm. know, she, she's going to have to learn to rely on, on, on Olivia Reigns at some point. But here's what we learned on Sunday. What we learned about this team was, first of all, um, they're explosive offensively. If you didn't know that before this weekend, you definitely know that now. Second thing we learned, though, was Nicole May is an absolute star in the rising. We talk about dominating pitchers from the past at the University of Oklahoma, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever, Rich, that Nicole May is going to be right right in line with those. Yeah, and she's the next one up for sure. Given the fact that she's a freshman, given the track record that she has, but she's also proving that she can do it in more than just one or two inning stints. She pitched 6.1 innings on Sunday against Wichita State and came away with that win. I absolutely believe in her skill set. Patty Gasso clearly believes in her skill set. The pitching coach obviously believes in her skill set as well. And it's why they can continuously go back to her in big moments. Think about Matt. Each time she stepped into the circle, she's inherited a, mm-hmm. a what many people would consider a bad situation, but remaining focused and remaining poised, which is, not as rare as it once was for a freshman, but given the fact that she's in these, these pinches, this pickle, if you will. And she steps in and delivers a pitch with confidence and gets the out that's needed before run scores talks to the prowess that she has. And it talks to the ice that apparently exists in her veins. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, Three teams from the big 12 advanced to the super regional round. Uh, You want to say something else about the regional there? Yeah, when we looked at that at region at that regional Matt, I was going to tack this onto your arguments. Was what we knew about Oklahoma was that they had to be beaten twice yeah. consecutively, and we know that that hasn't happened at all this season. So when you look at some of the criticism that Patty Gasso takes for her decision to open up the game on Sunday with Olivia Reigns instead of a Shannon Sell or even a G Juarez, the truth of the matter is they knew that they were playing playing at least one game. And if they lost that one, they would come back rebound in the second and force Wichita state to throw the exact same pitcher in order to beat them and go toe to toe from the plate. It's not something that any team in the country has been able to do so far that Oklahoma has faced. We'll see as we get into this super regional, just how good this defense of Washington is. We'll see if they can challenge Oklahoma in terms of the number of runs scored and assuming Oklahoma does advance to the, the college world series. We'll see if any teams that do advance alongside of them 
can can put up similar numbers in terms of the runs scored that Oklahoma has done this season. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Patty knew that no one was going to be here. That Wichita State was not going to be here twice on Sunday. And that again, that gives her the freedom to throw a little yes. reins out there and get her that experience and get her that test right up front early. And uh, and so you know, kudos to Patty Gasso for for just going out and doing that. And and I guess if she didn't do it, we would have we would have had less to talk about on Sunday. So that's not necessarily a bad <laughs> thing either. Okay, three teams from the Big 12 advancing to the Super Regional Round. Oklahoma is going to host the number 16 national seed, Washington Huskies. Over in up, up north from the Norman is going to be Oklahoma State in, um, playing Texas. Let me, let me ask you this real fast. Is this good or bad for the Big 12? And I don't know. Um, that, that's a difficult question. To I mean, ask. Well, let me let me point, paint it this way because I look at it, you're going to have a spotlight. All three mm-hmm. of those games will be nationally televised, and that game is all they're going to talk about is the Big Twelve because it's two Big Twelve teams, right? Well, but, and it, it guarantees one of those teams right. from the Big Twelve will will represent yes. the conference in the Women's College World Series. I see where you're going with it, hundred percent. So you you've got that as the plus side, but on the other side of that is you you don't have a chance to get three teams in the College World Series, right? So, so which, I think I think that's a pretty rare thing as it is. It's it's a pretty rare thing as it is to get more than one team, uh, more than two teams from a conference, okay. from a Power Five conference, into the Women's College World Series as it is. I know that the Pac-12 is hoping to do something very similar. I know that the SEC again looking to do something very similar. And then there's those spoilers like a James Madison who very well could advance, or a Virginia Tech from the ACC who could potentially advance there's they won didn't they virginia techs in the super regional Man, and i would feel like a dummy if if they weren't but let's keep on moving past that one because I say, now you truth, got me i've got it right here from me keep, keep talking i'll get you yeah the truth for me matt is this um i think from one aspect it's good for the big 12 getting three teams there granted would have been phenomenal um but i don't know that texas has put everything together from top to bottom. Oklahoma State, I know, has has made mistakes here and there, and it's it's what's cost them a couple of games that they should have been handedly in control of. So when we're looking at Texas, when we're looking at Oklahoma State, and knowing that these are two mistake-prone teams, at, Oklahoma State's the better team from the plate, mm-hmm. hands down, no questions asked. I think they're on par with one another when it comes to pitching. And so when you get into the Women's College World Series, we know those mistakes were going to cost one of those teams dearly now we're just gonna have those play out in a super regional so i don't while texas i know is highly ranked and highly thought of i don't think they're on the same playing field as oklahoma state is this year i don't think they're playing with the same level of momentum that oklahoma state is and i think they would have been outed very quickly that's not a good look whereas i think oklahoma state could definitely cause some noise a little bit of ruckus in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series simply because of their home run hitting ability. So you're picking the Cowgirls to win that Stillwater Super Regional. I am, and I'm saying it's not a bad thing that all three of those teams won't make the World Series. All right, so here's my here's my second, my follow-up question to that. Oklahoma State swept Texas during the regular season. Do they sweep the Super Regional, or does that go three games? No, I do think they sweep the Super Regional. You have to consider one thing. And I get that there's a week delay here, 
but Texas has had their back against the wall against Oregon, had to play that extremely late game, which I knew people had a fuss about themselves. But if we're thinking in logistic terms, Oregon was playing like a 10 o'clock game, whereas Texas was playing a midnight game mentally. That should have been a favor for Oregon. That's beside the point. I just wanted to throw it out there because, again, I know I talked about the rankings. I talked about the seedings and how unfavorable they were for certain teams. That was just an added layer that a lot of people wanted to point out. Now, when we're looking at Texas, I think that they are emotionally exhausted. I think that they're physically exhausted after that regional. But with a week to recharge, anything can happen. I'm saying that Oklahoma State does get the sweep. And again, it comes down to the bottom line. They're the better hitting team. And if they can if they can get runners in scoring position, there's no way that Texas, in my opinion, has a chance of beating them. Fair enough. By the way, uh, Virginia Tech playing at UCLA uh, in the, for, for the Super Regional. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just made me doubt myself for some reason right there at the front. <laughs> I just want to jump all in on that. When you look at Oklahoma and Washington, the very first thing – oh wait, um, there's no doubt about it that this is a, a matchup of offense versus defense. When you're talking about Oklahoma's offense against Washington's mm-hmm. defense, yeah, absolutely. there are some exceptions to this rule and that Oklahoma's the best defensive team in the nation. And, and so I, 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 think, I think the first, the first perception here is that Oklahoma kind of gets a bad rap by only being a – as only being a, an offensive program, when you look at that 10 run seventh inning against Wichita State on Sunday, people are like, yeah, see, that's Oklahoma. They, they're, they're an explosive offense, which they absolutely are. But defensively, this team is sound. Whether, whether you're talking about Janet Johns from third base, talking about Grace Lyons at shortstop, you're talking about Jada Coleman in center field. This is a very defensively sound team, but just by perception, Offense versus defense, and and I think you have the same caveats to Washington when you talk about their offense. You look at that that elimination game on Sunday, that third and final game between them and Michigan. Their offense exploded in that. So Oklahoma is going to have to be careful here. But do you feel like it's a? I mean, I, you got to market this game somehow. Do you? But do you feel like it's a little bit of a slide, particularly to Oklahoma, when you talk about Washington being the team that plays defense? And Oklahoma is actually the team that's ranked number one in the country. I don't think it's a knock against Oklahoma. And what everybody wants to point out, Matt, that we have to remember, and this is strength of schedule, we also have to consider if you don't consider strength of schedule, that's absolutely fine. Oklahoma's also played a lot less innings than any other team in the country because of the number of run rolls that's that they secured point. throughout I'll, the duration I'll of that, the year. I'll buy that point over strength of schedule. Mm-hmm. After defeating Wichita State, after seeing Oklahoma State just thoroughly smash uh, Mississippi State, and you, and you see, I mean, I think the strength of schedule argument is dead. And I, I agree. It's, it's a moot State, point. Yeah. And, and so and, and, and it, yeah, go I, I'm going to use an example across the board here because I felt like Gonzaga, the number one team at basketball, men's basketball, mm-hmm. there was a very similar argument that yes. could have been said about them, but no one ever questioned their capability because they didn't ever lose any of those games as they marched into the, the NCAA final. They marched into that, that championship game. Matt, when I'm looking at Oklahoma, though, I am looking at 
like I said, the, the number of innings played and it pales in comparison to what a team like Washington had to play. I will say this about Washington. And the reason I see this one being touted as a defense versus an offense is you're looking at Gabby playing in the circle, not a potential national player of the year versus Jocelyn Allo at the plate. Again, a potential national player of the year. And everybody's saying these are the two players who are going to have to go toe to toe. If you'll remember the regional, there wasn't a lot of talk surrounding Allo, was there? However, Gabby Plain was the one who had to come back and beat Michigan twice, basically, in order to secure their spot in Norman in that super regional with a chance to go to the Women's College World Series. Because without her, I don't necessarily think that happens. Jocelyn Allo, not highly talked about, not a lot of noise coming off the bat from her in that regional. She's due. And I think this is that moment where we could ultimately decide who will be the national player of the year. There are two, again, two candidates going head to head there. It's a one-on-one, a mano-a-mano situation where we'll get a very good look at which one is, is more productive in this series. When I look at Washington, I also have to look at um, Sis Bates at shortstop, right. a very flashy player who has a natural instinct that I've not seen from a collegiate shortstop in, in quite some time, specifically in softball. She routinely makes plays that are difficult, look exceptionally easy. We see her do the backhand with the turn and the throw. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal defensive player. And if you can't get the ball past her, it's going to be easy outs all day long when you're hitting to the shortstop. So defensively, I get where that, that stigma, I get where that ideology, I get where that notion is coming from as touting them as, as one of the best defensive um, teams in the country. But it also comes because of the fact that they played in the big 12 or excuse me, the PAC 12, the PAC 12 has four teams inside of the top 10, five inside of the top 12 in the NCAA rankings. It says a lot about the, the defense when they're routinely going up against quality competition and routinely getting the easy out. And like I said, I think it starts obviously with Gabby playing, but she has an excellent defense playing behind her. So I get that argument and it's no slight to Oklahoma. Oklahoma just isn't as flashy on defense, which is why I don't think they get that same credit. Yeah, Sis Bates is fantastic at the shortstop position. Some would say that she's almost as good as Grace Lyons. So, <laughs> man, the, you're you're dipping right into my true or false right now. So gonna, just, I'm going to throw that one out, and we're going to use my bonus question. No, no, no. Let's let's, let's, have, let's have a deeper <laughs> conversation if you want to. Um, yeah, let's. Can we do that now? Let's just go ahead and jump right into well, it. I'm not going to yeah, do the true or false. Yeah, we can. But let me, let me throw this out there first and, and say I I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that this is way for from a again a marketing perspective. You got Gabby playing versus Jocelyn Allo, 100% on board. Mm-hmm. But yeah. from a from a strategical perspective, this is so much bigger than that because it's Gabby playing versus Oklahoma's lineup. Who who do you pitch to in order to pitch around Jocelyn Allo? Because if you make it Gabby playing versus Jocelyn Allo, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to limit Jocelyn Allo from the plate. So you're going to pitch around her. You're going to pitch high. You're going to pitch low. You're going to make her chase. If you're Jocelyn Allo, you're going to be patient and you're going to wait for your pitch. You're, you're going to make Gabby Plain throw one over the strike zone. But the thing is, is you, you can't dance around Jocelyn Allo. You, you can't do it because you've got James mm-hmm. in there. You've got Grace Lyons in there. You've got Kenzie Hansen in there. I mean, I mean, how many, I mean, for crying out loud, Raleigh Boone came off the bench and hit a grand slam home run on Sunday. <laughs> who, 
who do you pitch to? If, if you're going to pitch uh-huh. around Jocelyn Allo, that means you got to find somebody that you got to pitch to. Who's that going to be? And, and I think that's where you really look at this Oklahoma lineup and you find that the advantage that's going to be the difference maker in this weekend series. Okay, let's go with your shortstop, uh, your shortstop debate. Yeah, Matt, the, the only thing that I was looking at when it came to the short teams, to the shortstop, like that's a real word, when it came to the shortstop position, and we do look at Grace Lyons and we look at Sis Bates, I know all of the attention is going to be on plane. All of the attention for Oklahoma is going to be on Allo. And as you've mentioned, everyone's intrigued by that matchup, but I really think there's an equal matchup that will be played out at that shortstop position. Mm-hmm. And again, it's because I said, you have this flashy Sis Bates who does everything technically correct and makes it look good, but makes it look easy at the same time. Whereas Grace Lyons is more textbook in terms of form and function. You know, she's right. not going to do these spinning throws. She, I'm not saying she doesn't have the same instinct and feel for the game, but you could easily say that one is a little bit off the charts and the other one a little bit beneath that, but again, very technically sound individuals and capable defenders. What we're looking at though with Sis Bates is, is she's much older in her progression of this game of softball. She was the defensive player in the Big 12. I keep saying that in the Pac 12. Grace Lyons doesn't have that accolade to her name yet. Is it because of these accolades that have been attached? Is it easier for us to say, you know what? Sis Bates is the better shortstop. No questions asked about it. And is it easy to say that as well because of the flashiness and the highlights that routinely come from that position from Washington? No, I don't think it's cut and dry like that at all, Rich. I I definitely think that, um, I I think, let me see how I can say this because it's crazy how we um, how we are different. Like when we're talking about girls as opposed to guys, because if you if you're talking about baseball or you're talking about football, you're hey, like, you, go ahead. I need I do need to apologize because yeah, I said you're Grace going to apologize to Grace Lyons, Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, was going to throw, throw that, that back at you. Player of the Year yeah. this year. No, I was hey, about my, to, my apologies. I was about to throw that back at you, but uh, now you stole my argument. But the the, the point I'm saying is. You know, when you're, you're talking about football players, basketball players, baseball players, you're saying, oh, he's 6'5", and he's 240 pounds. Well, you don't really talk about girls like that for some reason, even though we're talking about athletes. So in the most respectful way, I'm going to say this about Grace Lyons, is that her and Sis Bates are pretty identical, except for Grace Lyons is bigger and stronger. Grace Lyons has a stronger arm. She's got more range. Grace Lyons can, she can dive after a ball. She can jump up and catch a ball. She can run to the outfield and get a ball just the same way that Sis Bates can. But I think what's going to separate these two ladies is I think, I think Grace Lyons has the stronger arm. I don't think it's cut and dry. I think they're both phenomenal shortstops. I think whoever tunes into this series is going to just be treated to some fantastic defensive plays. But I also think that Grace Lyons has a better surrounding cast with that Oklahoma defense than what you're going to see Sis Bates and and Gabby Plain get. So here's here's how I can play devil's advocate with you and and make this statement an accurate one, is that Sis Bates is the the three-time reigning 
Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, three consecutive. Of course, 2020 didn't happen. They didn't make that award for the full year. And so she got it in 2018, repeated in 2019, and has now been named that here in 2021. Again, mm-hmm. you talk about longevity at the position. She certainly has it. You talk about the lack of errors and the fielding percentage, 0.98 on the percentage mark in fielding. I get that that does leave room for errors and it's no slide again to grace lions. Um, definitely, definitely worthy of the defensive what, player of the year. What it's did just you say? Difficult. Hold up. Time out. What did you say her fielding percentage was for 0.98 Suspense, career, 0.98? career. Oh, career. Okay. I got you. career. Not, not this season. That's career. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 0.98 career. And that may have changed slightly because I'm looking at some outdated stats right now, but it it was 0.98 for her career. I'm assuming it's still somewhere in that ballpark. But when we look at, again, all I said was the longevity of that consistency. It's very eye-popping for me. Grace Lyons can be a similar type of player. I don't disagree with you size-wise, strength-wise. It's nothing that I really considered until that came out of your mouth, but it's, it's hard to ignore what either of these players are doing. And what I would encourage individuals who are going to be watching this matchup is sure. I, I get what the big draw is. I get that everybody wants to see the two national player, uh, national player of the year candidates go head to head against one another, but watch these short stops and watch how they dictate a lot of the play in this game. And I'm not talking about offensively. I'm just talking right. defensively. Look at how these players will dictate what happens on the field defensively and the decisions that they make, because very rarely are either of these two making the wrong decision. They're not allowing people to reach on fielder's choice because they're just that good. There's no, there's no choice to be made when, <laughs> when that runner is attempting to get to first. Yeah. And you know, Lions is, only three errors on the entire season for her and a 0.969 fielding percentage for her. And I know you're not talking offensively, but if you were talking offensively, you probably also would have mentioned the fact that Grace Lyons is third in the big 12 on on base percentage as well. And and you're right, Rich, this is just the only thing we're going to get out of this weekend is some phenomenal plays. We're going to get phenomenal offensive uh, plays. We're going to get phenomenal defensive plays. And I think we're going to see phenomenal pitching, which, makes you think okay so what's going to be the difference maker that there's there's for sure two games between these two teams maybe a third game give me your keys to success uh when it comes to winning this series for one of these two teams yeah i'm going to give you my my oklahoma key to the game first and you've already alluded to it it's really patience at the plate. We know what Gabby Plain is capable of, but I think if you're patient, I think if you make her work, I think if you can extend the pitch count for her and any at bat, you've got a good chance at putting the ball in play. You've talked about, yes, this infield has been phenomenal all year long, but when we look at the capability, the hitting, and just how hard Oklahoma is striking the ball, it puts a lot of pressure on these infielders to come up with plays time and time and time again. And what we really saw was Washington started hitting the ball hard against Michigan. And what, what happened? Michigan in the infield started making mistakes. Right. I think Oklahoma has that same kind of a lineup. So again, it's really not letting this moment be too big for you. I get these are nationally televised games, but don't let the moment be too big for you play. And of course, drive home this idea of women in athletics, more specifically women in college sports and gaining more recognition and kind of evening out that playing field. I get that this is a drive 
for that. And I'm on board with it. But at the same time, don't let that, that moment completely overshadow what the ultimate goal is. And that's a trip to the women's college world series. So be patient at the plate, hit the ball hard and, and force Gabby Plain to go deep into the pitch count before she gets the out or before you hit a ball into the outfield in the air. Yeah, I definitely have um, hitting hit. I have it just hitting going deep as my number one. You, you got you look at how Michigan um, upset Washington in that first game. Well, they did it by hitting two home runs. How did Michigan kind of jump up early in that that third game? Well, they did it by going deep. And so that's what Oklahoma Oklahoma has the power to do it. And if it's not Jocelyn Allo, it's going to be somebody else because. As we've already discussed, you can't, there's no one in this lineup that you pitch to. Typically, when you're attacking a lineup, you're saying, okay, that's the guy that we, we want to go at. So, so going deep is definitely my, my number one. Number two for Oklahoma is I think you got to take advantage of, of free passes. If you get a hit by pitch, if you, if you, if Gabby Plain walks somebody, and there's the propensity to do that against Oklahoma's lineup because a lot of times they'll, they'll skirt the edge of the strike zone. And so there's a chance that the Sooners are going to get walked. You have to take advantage of that. You have to move those runners. And taking advantage of that is also going to mean don't get thrown out trying to steal second base. Don't get caught up in a rundown because you you didn't tag up at the right moment or you, you weren't paying attention. You have to take advantage of free passes uh, for Oklahoma. In, and that's my number two. Number two, I'm not going to give you a third one here just to give you a heads up, Matt. Number two, I know you're really shocked by that. Number two for me, when I'm looking at what, what Oklahoma does, when I'm looking at what they bring to the table, I think they need to begin to recognize that this is a pitching staff that wasn't, it's not as dominant as we once thought it could be. And that's no slight to the starting pitchers, a Giselle Juarez or a Shannon Sale. But we know that Oklahoma has three very capable pitchers who can do damage. And it's really to force the ball onto the ground. This, as you've mentioned, Matt, is a defense that has played excellently over the year. Number one ranked, or statistically, the number one defense in the country. And it's largely because of these are individuals who know that when the ball is coming towards them, they know how to either block it and pick it up and throw it towards first. They're keeping it in front of them. And so I think that's what Oklahoma needs to do against this Washington team. I don't know that they have the same hitting capability that Oklahoma does. So again, defensively, just playing sound, keeping the ball in front of them and getting these easy ground outs. I know that starts with the pitcher, but getting these easy ground outs is a key to, to success in this regional, in this series. I say regional supers, super regional. Yeah. So we're, we're on par here because my, my third thing is, is don't commit errors. Um, you know, the mm -hmm. team, I think the team that makes the, the most fielding errors and you've already alluded to this, the team that crumbles in the field, they're the team that's going to lose. If you, if you overplay a ball in the outfield, if, 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 if something sneaks by you in the infield, uh, you know, those are the things that are really going to be mistake makers and, um, and difference makers. And you mentioned it. I, I don't, I don't think Washington has the power in their lineup that Oklahoma does, but if Washington can force Oklahoma into some errors by hitting the ball hard on the ground, that makes up for the lack of power. So if you're mm -hmm. Oklahoma, you can't make errors. And, and, when you sum up this series, this, this regional, super regional, you know, Rich, one of the things is I don't think this is a moment that's going to be too big for either one of these teams because you're talking about two very experienced postseason teams. Let's not forget the last time we saw these two teams face each other was in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series. 
And so, yeah, this is a big moment on a big stage and it's all going to be televised nationally. Every mm-hmm. single one of, of these uh, games will be televised different, nationally. Different pitchers though, Matt. I, I mean, I, I get it, but I mean, Gis- Giselle Juarez has been to the Women's College World Series. A lot of people don't don't remember mm-hmm. that, but she she's been there. She has. Yeah, she was been, an All American that year, right? So with Arizona State. Mm-hmm. The the point I'm making is, I just I don't think this is going to be a moment that's going to be too big for either one of these teams. Uh, Oklahoma this season already has had these big moment games. Um, they've already played at the, at the Hall of Fame Stadium multiple times in Oklahoma City just this season alone. Um, I just, I just, I don't see it happening. And we talk about Sis Bates and Gaddy Plain. They've been to the Women's College World Series. We, we know what this is about, and both of these teams know what this is about. So I think it's going to set up for phenomenal softball. I think that's the reason why ABC picked it up for Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. You got Friday, uh, Friday afternoon on ESPN two, Saturday afternoon on ABC, and then if necessary, Sunday ESPN is going to carry that broadcast because it's going to be a World Series like game. If especially if it gets to that third game, so uh, this is going to be a fun series, Rich. I will say this, um, and I get, as I've already mentioned, all the pressure that's being put on these two teams from the national level, everything that the announcers are going to be talking about. And my hope here is that each of these teams can block that out mentally. If one team is unable to block out all of the comments that are being hurled upon them, that are being hurled upon that second game on Saturday, I think they're going to struggle with their focus and therefore it's going to manifest itself on the field. So hopefully these are two teams that are experienced enough to block out all of the noise that's surrounding the game and just focus on the task in front of them. We do have to remember that this is a game that's being played in a venue that Oklahoma is very, very familiar with. And it's not in it. It's not an environment that, as you mentioned, Washington has never played in before. When we look at the stadium and we look at the seating, we know that it's sold out. But again, Washington should be used to this kind of an environment. And again, mentally be able to focus in on the task that is at hand. What I wanted to get at, Matt, and I gave you two keys to the game for Oklahoma. I did have one for Washington I I wanted to throw out there. And it's really what I think Washington needs to do against Oklahoma is they need to find a way to score runs early. It doesn't matter if they're going to manufacture those runs. It doesn't matter if they're going to hit the long ball and hit them deep, hit them over the fence. Washington needs to find a way to score runs in the early going. And I get what we want to look at with Washington is that they haven't consistently done that, but let's look at game seven of that regional where they hit or they accounted for seven, seven runs scored in the fourth inning against Michigan, which ultimately sent them to Mm -hmm. this destination, this location with that chance to go to the women's college world series. So we know that they have it in them. We know they know what's on the line. So again, coaching top notch, if they can manufacture some runs, if they can keep it close in the early going and not let Oklahoma get out too early. I think that's what Georgia did. And it's a good blueprint to use against this Oklahoma team. So again, Georgia's got a Georgia Washington has to find a way to score runs in the early going, if not take a lead and put a lot of pressure on these Oklahoma hitters. Yeah, that's, that's a great, a great point, Rich. All right. So here we go. Um, We are finished with wrapping up our super regional, except for this. I need a prediction from you, Rich. Who's going to win and in how many games? I do think that Oklahoma, the better team here, um, just from top to bottom, their hitting has been phenomenal. And Matt, you and I 
being fans of the game, being fans of the sport, and more specifically being fans of the Oklahoma Sooners, we know that there was a stint where the bottom half of this lineup really carried Oklahoma. And it wasn't the big hitters. It wasn't the names, the Tiara Jennings. It wasn't the Jocelyn Allos. It was the Nicole Mendez's down there at the bottom. It was the Lindsey Elam's who were really carrying this team to victory. And that's something that you have to account for anytime you step onto the field against the Oklahoma Sooners. So I think because of that, and I think because they are sound on defense, Oklahoma does take this one. I don't think it's a run rule victory, but I think they take game one and game two. I think it's going to go three. Um, I just get the feeling that it's it's going to go three. And um, I do think Oklahoma advances to the Women's College World Series. Um, I think it's going to be, like I said, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be a run roll here, but I think it's going to be three exceptional games that are going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I think ultimately Oklahoma advances to the Women's College World Series. So we've got True or False coming up, and Rich is the guy. He's the man to ask the questions, and it puts me in the hot seat. We're we're not quite finished talking softball because Rich had already alluded to he's got a couple softball questions in his lineup for the True or False. Not questions. not little toss ups for you. Oh, you're not. Oh, I got you. Today. You're not. They're, they're not toss ups for you. Yeah. They they are they're about questions softball. about the sport of softball. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Well, Matt, we are putting you in the hot seat, as you had mentioned previously. And here's what we know is that Oklahoma has a tough draw against Washington. Washington, again, a very capable team. I don't know that they were they were worthy of being that 16 seed. I think they, they played to a level much higher than that. And so I really want to begin off this statement because I read this statement from Patty Gasso and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I know she doesn't believe that Washington should have got the 16th seed. The one thing that surprised me was she said she didn't believe Oklahoma should have been the number one seed either. And a lot of people wanted to talk about the strength of schedule. And if that mattered so much, why did Oklahoma get the number one seed? So true or false, Matt, you're in agreement with Patty Gasso and that statement that she made is that they should not have been the number one overall seed in this tournament. No, I'm, I'm in a disagreement. You, you and I, you and I talked about this, um, I think two weeks ago. And we, I think we talked about a little bit extensively. Oklahoma absolutely deserves the number one seed. Patty Gasso may not think her team is the best team in the country, but I think everybody else does. And what you have to consider with Patty Gas, Patty Gas, Patty, uh, what you have to consider, Gatto. <laughs> what you got to consider with Pat, <laughs> Patty Gasso <laughs> is that, there's a little bit of motivation in the way she's talking. Like she's saying things that motivate her players to, to go out and prove that they deserve that mm-hmm. top seat. Coach speak. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think she's sincere when she talks about Wichita state deserving better than having to come to Norman. I think she's sincere about that. I think she's sincere when she talks about Washington being better than the number 16 national seed. I don't think she's sincere when she says we may not have deserved the number one overall seed. She's, she's motivating her girls to go out and to prove that. And they absolutely did. I mean, they scored 19 runs in the opening game of the Norman regional only to score 24 runs in the closing game of the Norman regional against the number two seed in that regional. This is a very good Oklahoma softball team. This is a team that regularly ends its games in a run rule. I, I, I mean, when you talk about shutouts, they're setting records, Rich. They set so many NCAA tournament records and program records just last weekend. 
hundred percent. They deserve to be the number one seed. I, I love Patty Gasso. She's fun to cover. She's always good for quotes. She's probably the nicest coach I've ever been around in person. Minus Lon Kruger. Yeah, with yeah, that, that's a good point as well. But the truth <laughs> is, her team is the best team in the country, hands down. With that number one ranking, that we know that there's a lot of attention being placed on us, and we've already mentioned the name Jocelyn Allo, who's in the running for Player of the Year. We've also mentioned Gabby Plain, another individual who's in the running for Player of the Year. When we look at these two teams, this number one versus the number 16, the defense of Gabby Plain versus the offense of Jocelyn Allo. It was a match made in heaven. True or false, the winner of this Super Regional will see their, whether it be Gabby Plain or whether it be Jocelyn Allo, will see their player claim the National Player of the, the Year award. I hope this is false. Not because I don't think Oklahoma's going to win. Not because I don't think Jocelyn is going to have a good series against Gabby Plain and the Washington Huskies. I hope it's false because... I want this award to be based on the season long productivity, not on just two or three games in a super regional. I get what you're saying. And and it very well could come to play in that exact same manner, but I got to think it's false because if I'm voting here, I'm looking, I'm tuning into this, but, but what think about this, Rich, what if in two games, well, I said three games. What if in three games, Gabby Plain averages seven, the six strikeouts a game, okay? So let's say Gabby Plain averages six strikeouts a game, which is astronomical. I get that. But what if in the same, in the same notion, Jocelyn Allo does something like, you know, 1.3 home runs per game? Let's say she has one game where she hits two dingers, and then she hits one in each of the other two games. And so Jocelyn Allo's averaging 1.3 home runs per game. Gabby Plain is averaging six, seven strikeouts per game. But Oklahoma takes this series three to two. How do you decide the National Player of the Year off of that? You have to go to who won the series, which would be Oklahoma. And that's why I don't think this is fair. So I hope it's based off of a season-long productivity and not just two or three games on, on somebody's final weekend of the season. Let me rephrase that question then for you. Do you think Jocelyn Allo will win the Player of the Year award? I do. No, no reasoning, no statement. I mean, I just, it. We'll, I, we'll just I, move right gonna, on. People are going to talk. I, I'm blanking on her name. The pitcher at UCLA, um, Garcia, I'm, Rachel yeah, Garcia. She, they're going to talk about the fact that she's a two-way player that she can pitch and she can also uh, do damage from the plate as a batter. Of course, Gabby Plain has been phenomenal. She's had a phenomenal career. But you look at Jocelyn Allo, whether you're talking about a one-season sample size and the fact that she leads the nation in home runs, or whether you're talking about a career sample size and that she's chasing Lauren Chamberlain for the, for the career home run list leader, um, I, just, I just think, I think it's, Jocelyn Allo has been too good. And so my vote goes to her, and it's not because I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a Crimson and Cream fan. It's not because I'm a Jocelyn Allo fan. You know, Rich, we've been covering her since she was a freshman. We've interviewed her. We've been there with her. We've seen the transformation she's made physically, emotionally, mentally. From, and she was fantastic when she came to Oklahoma from Hawaii as a freshman. But this year, she has been the most dominant player that this sport has to offer as she's been the, the number one game changer that this sport has to offer. 
And I, I think that's the reason why she wins this award. I'm going to jump right into this, this third question for you. Because what we look at is a very long career for Patty Gasso at the University of Oklahoma. We know that she's approaching an age in which several coaches have retired and stepped away from the game and left that those reins to be picked up by the next individual. When we look at Patty Gasso, though, one thing that I feel like she was promised was a new stadium. And they began plans of renovation. Mm-hmm. For Marita Hines, four years ago, three years ago, they introduced the idea of a brand new stadium about a half a mile south of where the current one sits. They still haven't broke ground on that. And I know the quotes say that it, it's a money issue. So true or false, Gasso will retire before the new stadium is completed. <laughs> okay, so before I answer this question, I do want to point out to you that if they do build this stadium a half a mile south of the current stadium, it will be less than a 10 minute walk from the baseball stadium. I, I feel like I need to. I, feel like I know that's <laughs> an inside joke. For those of you who don't know, it's an inside <laughs> joke and we'll have to test it out, won't we? I feel like that definitely is true. Secondly, this is false and, and there's, it's false for, for a number of reasons. Number one, Patty Gasso, she's living the dream. She, she loves her job. She loves this university. She loves the girls that she coaches. Um, she, I mean, she views this, this position so much more than just being a coach. She views it as a mentor, being, being, whether it's spiritual or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, physical or emotional. She, she, she truly loves what she's doing. Patty Gasso feels no pressure. And the, the position that she holds, she is right now the most successful coach at the University of Oklahoma, and it's not even close. And when, when you look at Lon Kruger, Lon Kruger had a different, you know, a lifestyle change. He, he talked about the death of Lou Hill and how that affected him and, and his time with his family. His son became the head coach at UNLV and, and to be able to go back and support his son uh, as he begins his coaching journey. That was a big thing for Long Kruger. Sherry Cole had, had pressure. I mean, Sherry Cole had began to experience pressure because it had been a while since this, this team even competed in the big 12, much less nationally. And so she was feeling pressure. It was time. There's nothing at all like that with Patty Gasso. So that's the first reason I say this is false. The second reason I say it's false is because we already talked about Patty Gasso and the coach talk. So when you hear Patty Gasso talk about money being the problem, money being the issue with this new stadium, you know what she's saying? She's saying, give us more money. Uh, it's coach talk. It's like, oh no, we don't want Patty Gasso to be sad. Let's donate to this, to this, this, re- this uh, and, and, and rebuild. Matt, to your, to your credit, they are doing some fundraising ideas. Right. Yeah. Everything was based upon home runs. And we know that there is, it's like a home home run park. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember Hutt. exactly what it's called, yeah, but that Pizza will Hutt. be in effect. Yeah. Huh? With Pizza Hut's help and sponsor that. Yeah. And that will be in effect for the super regional right. as well. So there are, there are efforts that are being tossed out there. I get where you're coming from. I love it. And I couldn't agree more. I'm going to flip the script a little bit on you as we, I know everybody wants to talk about football. It's the big moneymaker at the University of Oklahoma. So I did want to throw in a couple of questions surrounding this upcoming season, Matt. And the first one that I've got for you is, is it's really going to focus in on a certain position and a certain player. When we look at Caleb Kelly, we know that he's not had the most fortunate collegiate career due to injuries. However, he showed exactly what he was capable of and how he could be used 
in an Alex Grinch defense. Now, he hasn't played much over the past two seasons. I get that. I understand that completely due to the rehab. But when we begin to look at, at this linebacker position, a lot of the attention is going to be drawn by Nick Benito as that, that, that rush linebacker, essentially. There's room. There's opportunity for other individuals. However, none of them ex, – ex, none of them ex, what am I trying to say here? Possess – there we go – the experience that Caleb Kelly has as – he will now be a sixth-year senior with this program. So true or false, by fall, Caleb Kelly will secure a starting spot on this roster. Man, uh, dang you, Rich. Um, here's <laughs> the deal. I, I'm going to say I want this to be true, but then I'm going to tell you that it's false. Um, is, Nick, is, is Caleb Kelly going to play this season? Absolutely, he's going to play. Is, is he going to be a factor? Absolutely. He's going to be a factor, but is he going to start? I don't see it happening, man. I just, I, and it's not, it's just being in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. When, when you look at how the talent level around Caleb Kelly has grown since the last time that he roamed this defense and was that playmaker. I mean, I'm always going to remember Caleb Kelly for the smashing hit he had against Baylor where Matt rule just came undone um, because he, <laughs> I mean, he, he basically took Baylor's quarterback and folded him in half and slanted him to the turf. And Matt rule ended up getting a 15 yard penalty out of it because he just couldn't stand the fact that, that Caleb Kelly had done this to his quarterback. But when you look at the, the rise of David Aguebu, you already talked to, uh, about Nick Benito, and, and we got Deshaun White we're throwing in this mix. We got Brian Asamoah we're throwing in this mix. I mean, I just I feel like the, the linebacking core has grown up around Caleb Kelly, and it's a, it's a completely different group. It's a, physically, they're different, and, and the, what they're capable of is so much different than it, what it was two seasons ago or three seasons ago. And so is Caleb Kelly a phenomenal guy? Absolutely. His story to come back from not one but two knee injuries and still be on this team, great. But with all due respect to the player that Caleb Kelly is, the person that he is is going to be more beneficial to Alex Grinch in this locker room than the player that he is. The leadership, the, the knowledge that he's going to pass on to other guys and the way he's going to help shape this team. To me, that's the, that's the Caleb Kelly factor. I don't think he has a starting job barring injury to one of the other guys. I don't think he has a starting job in 2021. Last question then, Matt, that I'm throwing out there for you is when we look at this 2021 season as a whole, this is number five, I, I, I believe. Okay. I'm, you I'm, have to go back and listen to it a little bit later, but this should be number five, three softball questions, two football questions. Okay. We're wrapping it up with number five. Okay, number five, here we go. When we look at the 2021 football season as a whole, the biggest indicator of how far this, this team will go, true or false, comes from the, the cornerback position. So the the so basically in another uh, in another way that what you're saying is the the biggest key to success for Oklahoma in 2021 is the corner position. Correct. No, I, I feel like ask, I may have asked this one before. Yeah, and yeah, if we, I did, I apologize. That's okay. No, and I, I'm going to give you the same answer as, as the last time. I, I think it's the safety and the nickelback positions. I, I think they're they're solid at the cornerback position. I 
you've got you've got lots of returning um, depth there, um, and then you got guys like um, Justin Harrington, how he's going to play into this. And you know, we're talking about a team that a position already has Woody Washington, already has Jaden Davis. Uh, DJ Graham has experience. Josh Eaton has experience. And then you're going to add Latrell McCutcheon in there. And so I, I think, I, I think when you, when you look at that, this is the best part of the back end of Oklahoma's defense, but then you roll over to those safeties and, and that nickelback position, Billy Bowman looked like a, a guy who really had a grasp on this in the spring game. You got Key Lawrence coming in from Tennessee and we, Justin Harrington, who I already, who I already mentioned. Um, they're talking a lot about Justin Broyles after spring ball. So I think, I think showing that up between a strong safety and free safety and the nickelback to me, that, that carries more weight on the success of this defense than what we're going to see from the guys on the boundaries. That works for me, man. Like I said, my apologies if I've asked, that one before it never even occurred to me until it came out on this podcast. And I know that you're not previewed to any of those questions. So I don't know if I'm on board with you is all I'm going to say. I've probably asked this question once before and I'm asking it now because I feel like the biggest concern is finding these lockdown corners who can go toe to toe with some of these bigger receivers that we've seen in the big 12. I know that the linebacker position will be tested against Iowa state, but it, it never seems in, in the big 12 specifically, it never seems as if they have a, a, a shortage of capable receivers who are on the taller end of the spectrum who just go up high point the ball doesn't matter if a, a defender's draped all over them they're the ones coming down with it because at five nine five ten you simply can't compete with six four six five the cornerback position is the one who will draw a majority of that responsibility and while there are capable players there while there are proven cornerbacks i still get concerned about the size so what are they going to do? How yeah. are they going to shade individuals over, whether it be a safety, whether it be a nickel? How are they going to shade, bracket, whatever they want to do, use the sideline as an extra defender to their advantage to really limit the damage that, one, the quarterbacks are capable of dealing against the defense, but two, these big, big play receivers. Well, and I think that's why I said that a guy like Justin Harrington is going to be huge to this because, you know, mm -hmm. he, he's a guy that's 6'3", 215 pounds. And so he can run with those. That's with those. huge for that position. Yeah. And then you look at, um, who is it? Uh, Josh Eaton. He's like six, two. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I do think there's some, there's some matchups that they can do, but that's why I, I don't know how Justin Harrington fits into this, because if you put him in at the nickelback position, it's, it's, I mean, you've got a linebacker playing nickel, but he's right. physically capable to do that. And, and, and then we, we know about the younger guys like Jordan Mukes and those guys that are, that are coming up that are just going to be freakishly athletic and, and have the size that, that you're, you're talking about. But um, I'm sticking to my guns. You're sticking to your guns, and that's A-OK. -okay. And um, we'll wrap up the Sooner Nation podcast. We'll, we'll have to talk, hopefully, next week we'll have to talk some Women's College World Series, but we'll also jump back in as we start the, the dog yeah. days of summer. We get a week off before the, the Women's College World Series after Supers. So don't forget that. Well, I'm just saying we get a chance to talk about, about those things. So 
Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. You can find us every day, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on the uh, Twitters at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear from you. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Tell me what's going on uh, with you. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>